Welcome to the Fantasy NASCAR Podcast. I am Pierce Dietrich. You can follow me on Twitter at Race for the Prize. You can also go to racefortheprize.com. That's where you can get information about getting access to the Fantasy NASCAR spreadsheet. All the data that you need to build better lineups and to thoroughly enjoy the Fantasy NASCAR process. The Clash, the Daytona races, all three series, Atlanta three series, Las Vegas three series, projections, practice laps, past results, advanced metrics, optimizers, mass entry tools. It's a very simple transaction. PayPal, Venmo, Cash App. Simply send me $30, and then wham, bam, you'll get an email saying you have access to the Google spreadsheet, and then you can go through all the data, like the data we're going to go through today, which is we've got salaries for the Clash. We've got meaningless salaries for the Clash. But hey, let's pretend for the sake of the podcast that these salaries are significant that salaries in this exhibition race mean something. And we've discussed this in previous podcasts, and I'll discuss it again, why we kind of have to go through some make-believe when it comes in terms of salaries and for the sake of the pod. When you're building your fantasy NASCAR this lineup and you're using this weekend and you're using the spreadsheet for the LA Clash on Saturday and Sunday, you're not going to really be that aware or cognizant of salaries just the way that it is. It's a trend that we have seen. It's a small sample size. You can pull up the previous LA Clash optimal lineups. Last year, $5,500 left on the table, unspent salary. 2022, $5,100 unspent salary left on the table. I know it's a small sample size. It's not a lot of data, but it makes a lot of sense. It's And you just have to come at it from DraftKings' perspective. One, it's the first race of the season, so it's not always easy to price drivers correctly. That's not really the major reason for the free salary or the unspent salary. Two, the format of the racing is going to lead to drivers that maybe you don't expect getting up front. The format of the race with limited points leads to a closer compaction, less separation of drivers. An expensive driver, two expensive drivers, cannot separate from the field when we only have 150 laps in a race where it's really hard to run away from the pack just based on the format, the racing style, and the actual structure of the track. This is not a 1.5 mile race where you get out front and you go off and hide. There is no hiding at this tiny little track. Once you pull away, you're immediately pulling back up to cars' bumpers. And although you may be able to maintain that lead and navigate through traffic, you're not running fast laps as that car. The second-place car or third-place car may be in much more cleaner air, may have much more of a straighter shot, so they're then picking up the fast laps. The leader will pick up lead laps. And you can see that in the data that the guy that leads the most laps tends to run the most fast laps. But it's not as heavy as you would see at other tracks. That means your top drivers don't really score too much more. You've got Ryan Priest with 64, Martin Truex Jr. with 59, and even in this case, these guys are low priced. But let's imagine a scenario where DraftKings had a crystal ball and they knew that the top two drivers would lead the most laps, and so they priced them accordingly and priced them up. Even in that situation, the expensive drivers wouldn't score a lot of points 
that would separate them from the rest of the field. And so everybody kind of bunches up. That's another situation that leads to scoring the way it is. And then finally, and this is probably the biggest reason, this is the opening race of the season. DraftKings, just like in all of their other sports, and week one NFL is a perfect example. Salaries are soft to lure people in. They want it to be challenging, but they don't want it to be too challenging to turn you off from playing the event. And then enrolling next week and then the week after that, they want to bring you in. You don't make it really hard. It's like those Nintendo games you played when you were a kid. If you're as old as me, if you're in your 40s and you went to the video game store, you rented the game. And level one was the most insanely impossible stage ever. You took the game back. You went to the video store. And our layer said, hey, I want to return this. Uh, something's not right. And they said, get out of here, kid. And so then you're stuck with a video game that you don't want to play for the rest of the day. You got to wait a whole day. And then you go back and you run another one when you get some money. <laughs> but, and you never play that game again. You never touch that game again. Because they made the first level way too hard. Now, if you build a video game, you make the first level easy, you go, oh, this is fun. And then you progressively or gradually make it more challenging. It's, it's still rewarding. It's still challenging. It's still fun. But you, you suck me in. And then maybe by level 15, where I get stuck, I'm, I'm mad at you. But I enjoyed this first 15 stages. Maybe you enjoy the first 15 races. DraftKings will have a soft salary this week for this race. And that means you're going to have money left on the table they're going to price guys softly to bring you in and then there's a second part to that one of the reasons they create softer salaries and you're going to leave money on the table is it leaves everybody in play if DraftKings were really to tighten up the salaries it often constricts the lineups that you can build in a 40 car race it can be fine but when we're going to be fielding half of that if you constrict the player pool or driver pool even any, any more, then you're going to get a lot of dupes. So by leaving the salary soft, leaving money on the table, everyone is in play, more lineups can be built and diversified, and there will be less dupes. And that always looks good from a PR perspective. That fewer people splitting the money at the top. Given all that, that means you're more than likely going to leave money on the salary. Does that mean you need to go out of your way to leave money on the table? You kind of probably do. It doesn't mean that a lineup that spends all this money cannot win. That's not the case. It could be the situation where you spend all 50000 and win. It's just been in the last two years. You didn't need to spend. So you don't need to spend. You can spend. The best strategy going into the LA Clash weekend is just don't even worry about it. Don't need to be cognizant of the salaries they're just there as we've talked about as we've broken down previous top 10 scores and videos check out those videos at my youtube page and as we've talked about in previous podcasts the optimals top 10s you don't spend all of your money what we're really focusing on is finishing position but on the blinders you don't have to worry about salary you just don't. And even when it comes to place differential, we'll take it. But when you're saying or chasing a driver with place differential, first and foremost, you're saying, can they get in the top 10? 
top eight. Because if they can't get there, they're more than likely not going to be in the optimal lineup. You'll take the place differential with the finishing position, but I'm not directly chasing place differential. I'm directly doubling down on finishing position. That's where most of our points come from. And if you can get an eighth place finish, you're more than likely going to end up in the optimal lineup. Kyle Bush with 42 points was optimal. Kevin Harvick with 49 points was optimal. See it up here. You don't need that many points. 36 of Bush's 42 in last year's clash race, those points came from finishing position. 34 of Harvick's 49 came from finishing. Yes, he got place differential, but the place differential came along with the top finish. Bush got some hall points. But it all came along with the finishing position. If the driver that you are thinking about putting in your six slots does not seem like a top 10 driver, does not seem like they're going to finish up there, I don't know if I want to play that driver. I don't care if he's cheap. I don't care if he's expensive. Is he going to finish up front? Now, in terms of hog points, yeah, I'm going to try to do my best to reject, predict. First place you're probably going to look is just drivers that are starting up front. Driver's track history, driver's history at maybe comparable tracks. Practice laps are going to be one thing to look at, although, as I've discussed in previous podcasts, and you can see this on the spreadsheet, Ryan Priest is the perfect example of going over this point, that practice is not undefeated. It is not the perfect metric. There is not a perfect metric. There is not a perfect indicator market indicator, or predictor of what will occur in the L.A. clash or in any NASCAR race for that matter. Some weeks, practice is more significant than others. Some weeks, practice is less significant than others. Sometimes, right there in that Goldilocks zone. And that is a good thing. Why is that a good thing? We've discussed this in previous podcasts. Sorry for repeating myself. But if all of the stats and spreadsheets work perfectly to predict the future, then the big whales, the big sims, the big projection sites would use those highly predictive stats, punch them into computers, build 150 lineups, and win every week, like they do in the NFL and NBA and MLB, where the stats may not be perfect, they are highly predictive. And all the player simply needs is an account at a website, and cash. It's not really down to their decision-making. It's not really down to whether they love the sport or not. It has really nothing to do with it. It's, did you buy a subscription? Cool. You have access to this simulation. Press go. All right, it ran the simulation. Now upload that CSV file. You're done. That was a fun one minute of your life. If that's your thing, that's your thing. Especially if you're winning money, then that's an awesome thing for you. Good job. Congratulations. I do not resent you one bit. But I believe a lot of people listen to this podcast. Love NASCAR. You love breaking down NASCAR. You like going over the ins and outs, doing the stats. That's why you've got the spreadsheet. Now, you can't do that, the sim thing, so much or it's just not as successful. And imagine you're going into this weekend, you got your sim tool, and you're going to enter 150 lineups. You're going to do it for NASCAR, you're going to do it for NBA. 
Are you going to use a computer projection that's accurate, or are you going to choose the one that's highly inaccurate? That's NASCAR. You go with the accurate one. And that keeps a lot of the whales off our shores, keeps a lot of the sharks off our shores, and we can play, and we can hand build, and we can only do that because practice is not perfect. Practice is not perfect. You don't want practice to be perfect. I hear people complain about, oh, the data doesn't. Good. I don't trust the data. Good. Well, it's not going to good. It's what we want. We don't want it to be perfect. We don't want it to be easy or the computers will do it. You want to be able to outwork someone. We don't want to be lazy. We don't want to phone it in. All right. Like we were saying with Priest, not fast in practice, but puts down six fast laps, points, lap sled points at 11. And the theory behind that, especially for this race, is, you know, when Kyle Busch is the fourth fastest on the 15-lap run, that's running the preferred groove. That's running the bottom line. When Martin Tricks Jr. got stone cold said so. Second for Martin Trix Jr. on the 15, second on these 20 laps. You know where he ran most of those 20 laps. You know where he ran those five laps on the back bottom, on the racing line, on the preferred groove. So sure, in the scenario, in the situation that you get to run the line that you want, you're going to be fast. That's not racing. Now for Truex, it did more so end up that way because he was up front the entire race. But for everybody else, you're not going to be able to constantly run the bottom. And even if you are, there's cars in front of you, slowing, speeding, slowing, getting in your way, making things trouble. Priest, perhaps, may not have been the best at running the racing line, hitting the apex. But when it came time to run the outside, to be able to make moves, he knew what he was doing, and he got out front. That's the situation for this week. That's not always going to be the case at intermediate tracks. This conversation we just had, probably not as big of a deal. Let's make a hard transition before we go into the salaries. Just look at another sheet I've been kind of messing around with. This is the pit stop data from last year's Phoenix race. And this is something that more than likely will be available at raceforthprize.com. It just depends on how many subs I get, how much demand there is. You know, every sheet that I do is less time I can spend on something else, analyzing something else, breaking down something else. So I want to try to not get too spread out so that you know, the more sheets you do, you know, you're going to have a cup of Xfinity truck and then all these different random sheets. And you become more, you know, a jack of all trades and a master of none. So you got to be careful not to spread yourself too thin. And so I am going to try to be aware of, do I want to go on the pit road? route? Do I really want to put this data out there? And is it going to be a distraction? Is it just one more data point? Is this going to take focus off of some of those stats that we want to look at? Just something that I'm tossing around. You can see the sheet right here tracks on, you know, on lap 63. Alex Bowman hit the pit road. He gained the spot. Eric Amarola, lap 63, pit cycle with everybody else, gained spots. You see Chase Elliott at the big loss. So that gives you a, a race View lap by lap of who's making gains and losing. You can see there in lap 276, Eric Amarola with 11 spots gained. 
That may not be the most useful visualization. It's just the tool that's there. Here's your raw sort. You can see on lap 63, Ryan Blaney went in under caution, came out under caution. You can see the actual race time, 196.7 seconds into the race, 2,012 seconds out of the race when he leaves the pits. His total stop in duration was 45 seconds. His time in the box was 10 seconds. Driving into the box, driver controlled is 10.2. Driver exit, 24.5. Obviously, people are going to have different numbers given their stall. You know, if you're closer to the entry pit road, your number's going to be lower. If you're further away, that's going to vary. But in the end, the total is going to stay the same. That's really the number you'd want to focus on. You could try to really break down the in and out if you wanted to, but more than likely the easiest way is just to see, all right, this is driver controlled 45. This is pit stop controlled. That's 10. You can see it's a four tire stop. He was 10th coming into pit road. He was eighth leaving plus two. And you can sort this and then you can see their four tire average. So when he took four tires, because we don't want to compare four tires to two tires, we just want to look at four tires. Four tires, 11 seconds was his average, and in that race, that ranked 11th. Here we got another sheet here before we go back to our clash salaries. Truex, overall pit stops, these are four tire. We can't compare, or these are four tire, and it's also a minimum of four stops. We don't want to compare drivers with fewer stops or more stops. And I've done my best to make sure the data doesn't get skewed by anomalies. Still could probably use some tinkering. The spreadsheet can always use some tinkering. Martin Truex Jr. on average was the fastest in his box at 10.4. His best was 9.7. That wasn't the fastest. The fastest was Chase Briscoe had 9.3 stop. His worst was 11.8. And that was eighth best in terms of limiting mistakes. And then we can look at also total time on pit road where we see, all right, this is actually the total time period in pit boxes on the day. So if we added up his five pit stops, that was 51.9 seconds. You can see it gains him a whole second on Ryan Priest, who's the second fastest. Those seconds matter. They are significant, especially when we're looking at the expensive elite drivers. I think a perfect example will be William Byron, who was in the championship, but you just can't concede five seconds on pit road. Not going to work. You can see his pit stops here, 10.4, 13.5, 10, 11, 12. You're just not going to get it done with pit stops like that. Can't win a championship that way. Brad Kozlowski loses the 2020 championship on pit road. Kyle Larson wins the 2021 championship on pit road. It's really what it comes down to. All right, back to our salaries. And we'll do the make-believe thing and pretend these salaries mean so. Kyle Larson is your most expensive. A little bit surprised, but not surprised. Given brand name at this point. He's earned it. Given brand name and DFS, he has earned it. And the stats don't lie. Top fives in the last two to clash. Excellent driver at short flat tracks. Really, 
finally had his breakthrough. You can't see it on the screen here, but he did win at Martinsville in the spring. He won at Richmond in the spring. Third at Phoenix, third at New Hampshire. Every box is checked. He wins everywhere. He's winning his short flat tracks now. Hendrick has excellent has an excellent short track program. And then again, what I really love is that where these other guys have been on the couch or maybe the simulator, Larson has been racing all winter long. He and I know it's a different style, dirt and late model and dirt and a sprint car, but just hand eye input throttle staying in that racing focus that racing mindset he lives it he loves it 10,400 it is too cheap for a driver who could score the most fantasy points I don't know how many points I don't think he'll run away with it but if we're just looking simply at can this driver lead laps yes of course Kyle Larson can get it done traditionally I would have put Martin Truex Jr. at the top doesn't really matter. As we know, these salaries don't really mean anything. But we saw him win last year at the Clash. He won at New Hampshire. He's won at all the short tracks. He knows what he is doing. If he is up front, he'll definitely be a guy that you can play. If he's starting in the middle of the pack, he'll work with place differential because we know he can finish back up front. We don't know that for sure, though. I don't want to say that with a sense of certainty. Just because he finished up front last year doesn't mean, oh, yeah, well, he'll finish up front again. Because we haven't necessarily seen him climb through traffic. I would probably have to look at his heat races to get the best idea of what he could do. And hopefully, I will be able to get all the heat lap-by-lap -lap data to you. It really just depends on the feeds. I've got it set up so I can get it. It's just I won't know until I know in terms of heat laps. Should be fine. At the very least, I get your heat results. Blaney, hot name, defending champion, hasn't really had good clashes. I don't know if this race really suits his style. You know, he did win at Martinsville last year, but Martinsville is gentlemanly compared to what the clash is. And as I've talked about in previous podcasts, I don't know if Martinsville is the greatest Reference point because the freight train gets spread out in that half mile and the cars form a single line. The clash can kind of get that way if we get enough of a green flag run, but there's much more side by side action and that leads to different types of racing. That leads to three wide racing. That means gains by three wide and two wide. You don't really get that in Martinsville. Martinsville, it's a slow, methodical bump and run. It's a slow, methodical get underneath the guy. We got 500 laps to do it. There's always a sense of urgency in the clash with only 150 lineups. There's always a sense of urgency when there's a car on your outside and on the outside of it. And then if you're the car behind the three cars, you did go around those guys because they're all slowing each other down. It's just a different game. If Martinsville is chess, I don't even know if this is checkers. This is chutes and ladders. This is some other children's game that they're playing. It is a game, and there is strategy involved, but it, from the outside, it kind of looks a little silly. From the outside, it might look ugly at times, but there's still strategy. There's still thinking. There's still execution going on. It just doesn't look like some beautiful chess match. 
or a beautiful tennis match. It's much more rugby. You know, I don't know what I'm watching when I watch rugby, but I'm assuming the guy who's got his head locked in some other guy's head has some sort of plan because it looks a little dangerous. And I couldn't imagine that you were doing headbutts without thinking exactly about what you're doing. But from the outside, it looks like those guys are just headbutting each other and smashing each other. What are they doing? This is dangerous. But in the scrum, they probably have a plan. There probably is something going on. That is, I think, a pretty solid analogy of the clash. The casual fan, the lazy fan. Oh, this is just a mess. But then when you really start to break down and watch specific, particular moves, it's not as peculiar. Kind of get an idea what they're doing. No problem spending, I mean, obviously, I have no problem spending up on any of these guys. I mean, you really can almost jam in one, two. So there's 50, and then grab some guys in the 8,000s, 9,000s. You're grabbing like the highest priced guys. It's not really that hard. Uh, but Blaney hasn't really got the trick yet. He might not. You know, of those three, he would be the one I would be the least likely to play. Byron hasn't had the greatest race yet. Didn't really finish strong at some of these, but he was, I believe, the highest rated driver in that, one of the highest rated drivers in that Richmond race. He got spun out at the end. It's a good short flag track racer. Not really that worried. Had a good bit of laps led at the Phoenix races. I think he's hungry and motivated for a championship. I like it. We all know Denham, a great short track racer. Does he care about this race enough? That might be a narrative that I'm driving probably a little too hard. We know that in 2022, they're protecting parts, so kind of fun that one in. He faced some adversity and still ended up finishing ninth. And, you know, the first thing he said, well, I need him to do better than that. He's a top-tier driver. You don't really, dude. You don't. I know the general idea when playing Daily Fantasy NASCAR and building lineups is when you spend up on these drivers, I need them to lead laps and run fast laps. That's true. But for this race, as I said about 15 minutes ago, we're targeting finishing position. And even if Denny Hamlin is only 80% into it and something bad happens to him, like in 2023, he still finished ninth. It's not very hard for Hamlin to finish fifth. It's not very difficult for you to imagine him finishing fifth. And Denny Hamlin at 9,700, yeah, you might be overpaying for a fifth place finish, but it doesn't matter because salary doesn't really that matter that much. It's okay to overpay for finishing position. Let's say that again. Let's chant it. Now let's sing it. It's okay to overpay for finishing position. You're going to have cheaper guys that also finish near the front because it was incredibly impossible for DraftKings to price this race. You've got money to overspend. you got money to play around with. You do not need to be frugal. This is no time for austerity measures. Spend it. Be the highest bidder on Denny Hamlin. The only small concern is that he goes into this race and is disinterested. Kyle Bush. Likes his style of racing. It suits his style of racing. He should be there. We don't know how many years are left. I imagine him to keep pushing hard as he winds down his career. And his battery is likely recharged. He is refreshed. He is ready to go. I could see him coming out of the gates 
swinging and wanting to win, check this box off. You know, at one point in his career, he was highly concerned with winning at every track. Don't think that matters anymore. I don't believe, you know, with him adding new tracks here and there, that that streak really counts for anything. So, by the way, I still like Kyle Busch probably more than I liked in Hanlon. RCR has been very strong. You look at 2022, Reddick and Dylan had great cars. Last year, Bush and Dylan had great cars. I guess maybe that's Randall Burdett's um, thought prop. Maybe he's behind it. I don't know. By the way, RCR, let's get these tracks. Lagana won the inaugural one. Didn't work out from last season. Good short track racer coming off a very disappointing season last season. Although he did have some pretty quality results at the short flat tracks. He's definitely on board as well. He's right there in that Hamlin Bush Logano group. I don't mind overpaying for those guys just for finishing position alone. Don't mind it. I'll take them, put them in. Christopher Bell, and I even think the Bell could lead laps or run fast laps if he has the track position. But will he have the track position? That's what remains in question. Um, last year, he started in the back, was slowly making his way forward. And he was just one of those unfortunate cars that did not survive the handful of wrecks that began stage two. Not happened to anyone, but he fought forward, was able to make moves. You, you know, push, shove, let's say Hamlin versus Bell. Um, and they're not both in an ideal spot to lead laps or run hog laps or earn hog points, dominator points. Then... You know, the breaking point's probably not going to be salary. It's going to be place differential, which is fine in that situation. Again, I'm not saying ignore place differential. Finishing position. And if you can see Hamlin and Bell both finishing in the same spot, then you've got to go to another scoring category. If you think that Hamlin and Bell can both stuff the finishing position bucket, well, then your tiebreaker is going to be place differential or hog points, dominator points, fast lap slash laps led. If you think that the likelihood of them getting hog points is low, then obviously place differential is going to be a breaking point. Then you could say, because you got all this data, say, well, that's where everybody else is going to go. You can say, I'm going to find a different data point to maybe push me in a different direction. And you can do that by accessing the Fantasy NASCAR spreadsheet, which you can get at racefortheprice.com. Simply go to the site to find more information, or just simply right now on your phone, paypal.me slash Dietrich. that's P-E-A-R-C-E-D-I-E-T-R-I-C-H, or on your phone, open that Venmo app, venmo.com slash race for the prize. Or on your cash app, cash.app slash money sign, Pierce Dietrich, send me $30. And that will help with the family, help with the household, help with the rising cost of food. And in return, I'll help you by giving you access to Fantasy NASCAR spreadsheet and all the data that I pop into this thing throughout the week. Chase Elliott, 9,000. Fine. Not good last year. Okay, does that mean we need to just men in black zap our eyes and just move forward? Do we need to wash our hands like Pontius Pilate and move forward? Or should we hang on to that? Is it a harbinger, harbinger of things to come? Is it just an early sign of early decline? Or is it just a bad year with bad stuff happening? Ross Chastain at 8,700. I'm going to have a hard time getting to this one as I wrote about in my DK Network article. I mentioned this in the past. Chastain, big target on his back. A race where people love the bump and bang. 
even if no one goes fully out, out or committed to absolutely wrecking Chastain, even if no one completely goes Matt Kinsis on Logano at Martinsville in 2015, he's going to take quite a few hits. He's going to take quite a few licks and bumps and bruises. It's going to be very difficult for Chastain to finish up front in my mind. Reddick, much better in that 2022 race. You see a 21 there. But look, 16 hog points in that race. That is six last year. So Reddick clearly knows how to get around the strike. That's the two different teams as well. You would really like Reddick at 8,600. Right? Checks all the boxes. So even if you are concerned with salary, 86 is a great deal. And then he has two good races. And even in that, some people might feel like there's a little bit of an edge because some of the more casual people will see this 21 and say, oh, well, he didn't race well in that one. And so then the super NASCAR nerd, which is everybody, even though we pretend that there's like these guys that aren't, although there are lazy people, they'll think, oh, I got a little bit of leverage here because I actually know that Tyler Reddick was good in this race. That should amp his ownership up. And then I think we'll have the same factor for Brad Kozlowski and Chris Buescher, 8,500, 8,200. People are going to tell themselves they're going to go under-owned because they didn't get in the clash in 2023 and 2022. And so people are not going to want to play these drivers. It's another narrative that I don't mind floating out there, whether it's true or not. And there's really no way to predict whether it's true. I don't know how many people are going to realize that, well, yeah, they were in the main event. But they participated in heat races. They participated in practices. So they've got laps under their belts. And the team has setups and notes. They got an idea what they're going to do. It just hasn't worked out for them. And then you look and see what they did last year with their kind of breakthrough at RFK as they took a major stride forward. You like that. So many people are going to say, oh, well, they haven't been in the race. Or other people are like, oh, other people think they haven't been in the race. Oh, the people are overlooking how good they were last year. This is a sneaky spot. Could be. The salary is very affordable. They're going to slot into basically any lineup at that price tag. Bowman's going to slot in as well. Finished fourth last year. Yeah, he benefited from the cautions. But once he benefited from the cautions, he maintained his position. We know he has good track history. Wins at Martinsville. Wins at Richmond. Again, similar to Elliott. Maybe not the best season last year, but Bowman knows how to get around this track. Obviously, a maintained position. He's cheap. Priest is 7,800. I've talked enough about Priest this week. I don't know. It's just like, how much more can I say about Ryan Priest? Some people may come in saying, oh, 78 is too high for Ryan Priest. Maybe that will lower his ownership. But price doesn't matter. Sure. You zoom out, $7,800 for Ryan Priest seems like a lot. But is it really a lot for this race? No, because there's no such thing as a lot. The highest priced driver is $10,400. We leave $5,000 on the table. Even if Ryan Priest is $2,000 priced too high, which that's pretty excessive. But even if it is, let's say, oh, Ryan Priest is more of a $5,800 driver. What are you complaining about? You have $5,000 left on the table. You still will have $3,000. It just with an overpriced Ryan Priest. 
or whatever. You, you can do the math. You figure it out. I think Bo Wallace is underpriced at 7,600. Given that he really went well, what top 10 driver at the short flat tracks that mattered. Remember last year, yeah, 22nd, but he was going to win the race until he got punted. Ty Gibbs, 7,500 for a JGR car. He got wrecked early in last year's race. He was moving forward. Can he get a top 10? So that's where we get into the point down here where what you're really asking yourself, I guess we're semi-cognizant of the salaries. But what we're really saying is can Ty Gibbs get a top 10, top 8? Probably can top 10. Ah, top 8, we are pushing it. So I don't know if I'm that crazy. Same thing with Chase Briscoe. He can be close to top 10. Top 8, we're pushing Josh Berry, all bets are off. We don't know what to expect from him and Rodney Childers. Um, there could be a scenario where, like, wow, I really think he can get top 10 in this car. And there could be a scenario where, ah, he is a little bit lost, no way, pass. Austin Dillon, yes, he can get a top 10. Eric Jones, it's going to be really interesting to see how these Legacy Motor Club look in a Toyota. Their first race. We know they struggled last year throughout the season because they were a lame duck organization, switching orgs, manufacturers. Here they are with the new team. Maybe Toyota really wants to help them get going early, but even if Toyota really wants to help them get going early, it's still a lot to do. It's going to be a lot for all these teams. Toyota and Ford have new body types, whereas Chevy is still the same. We could very much see Toyota and Ford struggling early in the season and Chevy winning a lot of the races because they didn't make any changes. And it might take a while for Toyota and Ford really to get an idea of what this new body is going to do. But I'd much rather play Dylan than Jones. Torres, not that interested. Cindric, not that interested. Gregson, he's aggressive enough that he could make it work. But he also is aggressive enough that he could get punted. I'm not crazy about McDowell or Nemarek. I could see Stenhouse being close. That top 10. But I could also see him finishing, you know, around 11th and being a good point for dollar play. You're simply not needing him because you don't have the salary restraints. Same thing with Justin Haley. Finished 11th last year. He was running in the top five in the 2022 race before he pulled a stupid move and wrecked out. And then you've got all these cheap guys at the bottom. Haven't really been here before. I don't think it's necessary to go down here. I mean, you look again at previous optimal lineups, you didn't need to play those guys. Because you look at the top 10 from last year, 6,000 free, 73 Truex, and these are priced probably a little too soft. Our pricing is a little more significant this year. So maybe we won't. I haven't really run any crunches or optimizations. I kind of should mess around with that. Maybe we won't leave a bunch of money on the table. But I think we still will. Look, you know, your top three is 6,073.57. Which Truex should have been higher, whatever. But then you even had Alex Bowman at 69. He should have been higher. Bowman's 8,000 this year. Bob Wallace... Six most fantasy, seven most fantasy points at 6,700. He's higher this year, but not as high as he should be. You go back to the year before that. Because there's wrecks, and there's going to be cautions, and you're going to see some guys that maybe exceed expectations. Jones, 6,000 third most fantasy points. Dylan, 6,200 fourth most fantasy points. 
AJ, 69. Paul Custer, 58, with the seventh most. Bell priced way too low. I don't think the salaries are too far off this year. And they have tightened it up some. So, you know, I haven't really run optimizations and crunched. But I don't know if we're going to leave $5,000 on the table the more I think about it. That's going to be something that we're going to want to inspect and see, huh, our salary is going to be tougher. Maybe, though, you're looking from the outside, and it is always good to say, what if I'm wrong? What if there isn't a bunch of money left on the table? And to question the process a little bit and say, ah, it does look like they got the salaries a little bit tighter this year. But even if that's the case, sure, maybe they tightened up the top a little bit. We still have to really think about this race. And think about the bumping and the banging. And, yeah, even if four of the drivers in the optimal or even in the top ten deserve to be there, even if four of the drivers are priced according to ability and they carry the day, we know just by watching racing outside the fantasy, we know, DFS aside, that in racing, with cars failing and cars bumping and cars wrecking, drivers that don't necessarily deserve top 10s get top 10s. There are surprises. And so even if DraftKings got the salaries a little bit better and tighter, you're still going to have Eric Jones, Ross and Dillon, or Cole Custer slide in. You're still going to have one of these low-priced, two-priced guys slide in. That'll do it. Racefoodprices.com. Thanks, guys.